0: Hey, it's good to be back with you all this week. Uh, Welcome to our stream as we're trying to utilize this method of of worshiping together even from a distance in our homes, but we're glad that you're able to be with us here and looking forward to just getting back together once again. This week, I want to take you back to the cross, and as we look about the faces around the cross, we'll discover some more people. I've got an interesting character I want you to see today, and hopefully we can be inspired by him as well. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of Luke in the New Testament. And we're going to start at chapter 23, beginning at verse 39. And that'll be Luke 23, 39. Begins this way. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for, for our deeds. But this man, he's done nothing. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, I think the man that prayed that prayer is worth knowing. It strikes me that, that while he was in dire straits himself, suspended upon a cross, awaiting his ultimate punishment for his personal crimes, that, that there was within him this, this willingness and this insight to see Jesus in a little bit different way than those around him saw him. And in fact, of all the faces about the cross... His, I think, is is probably the most striking and inspiring of all. Now, how this great outlaw, this giant soul, this man of faith came to be, I mean, what he is, where he is, uh, we can only guess. And I'm sure of this, he never set out with Calvary as his goal. I like to be bold this morning. I kind of lay out a scenario of what his life might have been like before he got here. So if you could just bear with me a little bit and kind of enjoy this kind of story. I I want to share with you maybe, it began as a young man, and and I dare say he was probably raised a patriot of Israel, and and he had strong convictions that, that they should be their own independent nation again. He resolved himself to live for one very high and noble purpose, and that was to free his people from the yoke of oppression of Rome. Of course, he knew that, that there were great risks involved in that. But with his strong and righteous courage, he dedicated himself to the task of, of winning freedom, both for his fellow man and for himself. Little did he dream, though, that, that all of his hopes would end like this. I mean, little did he, did he set out on youth's bright morning that his story would eventually be punctuated at the end with a period in the form of a cross in this eerie darkness that day on Calvary but if his goal was far different from what he had expected what he had become before reaching this goal was probably less expected at first I'm sure that uh, this man initially sought to accomplish his goals in legitimate means uh, maybe taking things through the courts and things as he got older. But but then he realized that he was kind of being disappointed by his friends, by the, the community, by the country, and by his enemies. And more and more, he uh, began to realize it wasn't going to happen if he was going to try to use legal means under the law. So he began to put his confidence in violence and in bloodshed and Maybe he organized a, a band of, of misfits, a, a band of, of uh, rebel fighters that were going to do his bidding. If he's not able to get them into an army and, and, and fight out in the open field, he probably decided he would get this group of guerrillas, or in their day they were called zealots so that they could come together and, and they would hide out in the vastness of the mountains along the roads that made their way through there. And as a, a small detachment of the soldiers of Rome would make their way through, they would come down upon them and, and, and take over and destroy them and, and just, just have victory day in, day and out. But sometimes that wasn't all it meant that it was going to be for them. You see, they probably were under pressure and, and no longer did he limit himself to just the Romans. But then he and his men degenerated probably into this band of thieves, robbers. One day their victims made resistance, and then killing the innocent became necessary. He may have flinched far from that at first, but eventually over time, his heart heart hardened about it. If anyone had told him when he was a child that he would end up one day on a cross, I think he would have been surprised. He would have argued that would never happen to him. But if someone had told him that before he reached that cross that he would have already crucified his better self, I think that probably would have surprised him even more. But here he is. He's dying on a cross at Calvary. Not as a righteous and a zealous patriot any longer, but as a disgraced and a hardened criminal. There was something else that happened that day that had he been forewarned, he probably would have said, no, that would never have happened at all. But suppose as he is beginning to make his journey down the Via Della Rosa, carrying his own cross, that maybe a friend in a crowd shouted to him and, and said before this day is over, you're going to be praying to that man over there for your salvation. He laughed. Because he'd look over and he'd see this man that is bearing his own cross that was weak and was bloodied and was was not very strong at all and was tripping and stumbling his own way and that somebody else had to carry a cross for him. And and he would have said, there's no way, no way I would ever do that. I I hardly think so. But when you consider what has taken place, here he is. He'd probably been so obstinate about it that he said, there's no way. You, You know me, me, pray? I don't even pray to God anymore, let alone would I pray to a man who's, who's weak and can't do anything for me and he's in the same position as I am. I would never offer a prayer to someone who is so foolish enough to go out and fight a multitude of lions like a lamb. Yet a few hours later, this bold, this hard man in tears would pray, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So this morning, I want to propose to you just three questions that hopefully will help us understand and relate to this condemned man, this great outlaw. First, I would ask, what what brought this man to pray? I think it was probably because he saw Jesus for who he really was. When we stop and consider the, the circumstances, it seems impossible to exaggerate on the insight which he possessed. I mean there were several every other things going on and everything, humanly speaking, was there to, to obscure his vision and his thoughts. The religious leaders of that day, these men of understanding and insight of the, of the Scriptures, they were taunting this man on the cross. And, and the crowd now was under their control and they were, they were spouting the same venomous words at him. The Roman soldiers were joining in and they were mocking this man. And and even the other fellow, his companion on the third cross, is making the same accusations and he's just joining right in as well. But then something happened to this outlaw that caught him off guard. This man at his side, this, this man on that center cross, he was praying. He could see his lips move, and, 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 and he knew that he was praying, but he really couldn't hear the words. So, so he leaned in to see if he could hear what he was saying and what he was praying for. And, and, and he, he wasn't praying for himself. This is odd. He, he's, he's praying for them. And, and his words were simply that they're in Luke 23, verse 34. It says He said, Father, forgive them, for they, they do not know what they do. He's actually praying for those who are hating him at this moment, who are torturing him right there and and how incredible is this! What a strange man he'd never met anybody like this before in an effort to get a better view of this amazing man there he He turns his head as far as he possibly could towards that middle cross, and then he sees something that he'd never noticed before. It's this placard that is nailed to that cross above the head of Jesus, this man of prayer. And that placard bore this inscription, and it simply read like this, abbasalus ton yadulun autos. It means, the king of the Jews? The, the king of the Jews? I mean, many people saw that sign as a joke for that day. How could this be their king? There's no way this man is a king at all. Not only does it see him as a king, but, but as an innocent one. He, he sees him now as someone who is, who's really innocent of all things and, and spotless. He's not committed any crimes. And yet Rome had declared Jesus guilty of treason. The religious leaders, they had pronounced him as a blasphemer and as an imposter. this outlaw from his perspective with his insight and his courage he speaks up for Jesus and he proclaims that he has not done anything wrong and I think it was then that he saw himself as well for who he really was when this outlaw was first arrested, when he was nailed to the cross, I feel certain that he had no regrets for the wrongs that he had done and that brought him to this place. And maybe if he had one regret, it probably would have been that he had not done more to fight. But now, against the backdrop of this man of prayer at his side, this king of the Jews, he sees himself where he truly is and that he's really receiving his due reward for his own deeds he's suffering at the very edge of hell and yet he says that there's this punishment that they are facing is no more than he deserves and no more than this other criminal deserves for what he has done too and i think we complain today about our loss of sensitivity to sin most of us are not worried about what we classify as our little sins. I mean, we even, when we confess them, we, 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 our confession lacks true repentance, I think. We don't cry out in shame because of what we have done. Rather, we like to compare ourselves to others and, and demonstrate how much better we are. and We're not as bad as them. We don't see ourselves in the light of Christ and His holiness. And we've lost our sense of the righteousness of God because we focus on men rather than Him. This outlaw might have died a hardened and a self-satisfied criminal. He certainly would have only looked at his fellow convicts. But when he looked at the face of Jesus, when he saw those piercing eyes, he had nothing good to say for himself. How would he agree that that he was suffering for what he deserved? That's the only case for those who who see themselves in the light of Christ. We recognize our own sinfulness. Young Isaiah in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, the sixth chapter, he was probably undeniably one of the most righteous men of his day. Yet when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, holy in the temple of heaven, he could only cry out his confession. Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In the light of the countenance of Christ, we get a vision of our own hearts, and we see ourselves for what we are, sinners. And all that We have due us is the penalty for our sins, which is death. Not only did this outlaw see himself for who he was when he saw Jesus, but he also realized something else about possibilities. If Jesus convicts us of our sins, maybe he also convicts us of the possibility of salvation. He gives us hope. He he enables us to see the dawning of a better day. And and so this outlaw, rather than mock Jesus like his companion, he sees a way of escape. Not escape off of his cross, but an escape from his eternal destiny. And, And so he prays. The second question I think we need to ask would be this. What was so unique about his prayer? Well, to begin with, to whom does he pray? I mean here's where it gets interesting he's not praying to God the Father he's praying to this man Jesus who's dying on the cross right next to him think of the the daring faith of this man I mean he's dying and he knows it and this man at his side is dying as well and, and probably a little faster than what he is and he knows that too yet he can't but help, but pray to his Christ, his Savior, his Lord, his Redeemer. Oh, how much that must have made Jesus feel at that moment. To know that, that in the midst of everything else, while everybody else is condemning him and shouting at him and, and, and just accusing him of things that are not really who he is, here is this... Convict. This man who has lived a life of unrighteousness sees him for who he really is. I think that probably made Jesus' heart explode. And it was for this very cause that he knew he was on that cross to give his life. Not only for that condemned criminal but for you and for me. The multitudes, they're howling their insults, but one man, so far as all we know, in all the world, one man was honoring him as King of kings and Lord of lords in his dying moment, recognizing his greatness and praying to him. But for whom does he pray? He, he doesn't pray for the whole world. I mean, He doesn't pray for a needy nation. He, he doesn't pray for his companion. He prays for himself. I mean, I mean, there are times when we hardly fit to pray for anybody else because our lives have been so ruined and distraught. And before we, we are able to have that connection with God, we've got to be able to reconnect with him somehow before we even attempt to lift other people up. And for him, there are only two beings in this whole universe at that moment. All he sees is himself and Jesus. And I think that's what it takes for you and for me to realize the depth of our depravity. When we have fallen so far that all we see is ourselves in comparison to Christ. And in that moment of brokenness, that's when you and I have to cry out. That's when we have to recognize that this man on the cross has been praying that we would see him for who he truly is. So, for what does this criminal pray? I think here again we see the marks of his true greatness. He doesn't ask Jesus to save him from the consequences of his sin, to take him down off the cross. He, he doesn't ask him, if, if anything, that he would help him not feel pain as he's going through this agony. He, his hell is not necessarily being where he is. It is being what he is, what he has become. He doesn't give Jesus a list of all his good deeds or his bad deeds and, He makes just one inclusive statement. And it's a simple request as we look back, but yet such a profound request at that moment. He asks him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He seems to say that in spite of all appearances, you are king. And since you are king, this is not the end for you. And I know that this cross is utterly powerless to destroy you. and It does not put a period on your life. Matter of fact, it doesn't even put a comma on your life. It's not going to stop in this moment. And soon, this whole storm is going to be over, and you'll be experiencing the calm that only you can bring as a Prince of Peace. And soon you will have passed from the confines of this mortal world and you will embrace your true identity. And when you have done this, remember this man who is dying here on a cross beside you. No faith can be greater than that. Notice he didn't say if, but when. When you come into your kingdom, I mean, there is his confidence in Jesus. I know if we were to possess just a portion of that confidence, just a a small portion of that faith, how great our hope would be. I think our third and final question is this What kind of response does Jesus offer? Look at Luke 23, verse 43. And it's a response that I don't think he was expecting to receive. But Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, it destroys the notion that death ends life. He says, you will be. Jesus speaks with blessed assurance that that he is going to continue to live even if he dies. And it, it seems as if Jesus is saying, since you have asked that I remember you beyond the cross, you must know that I truly am the resurrection and the life. Death cannot stop me and no more can it stop you because if you believe in me you shall live also. So today you'll get to be with me in paradise. Not only does Jesus promise him a future after death, but he promises him a future relationship with him. He says, you will be with me with me I mean, he says you are here with me here but here in this strange ordeal we have met and we've joined hearts and therefore nothing can separate us today and tomorrow and for all eternity we will be together in paradise and however it's not paradise that makes it worthwhile it's the fellowship with Jesus we can dream of what heaven will be like but it's not the place Because I believe that heaven would be not worth it if Jesus were not there. You see, because it's the relationship with him that we seek. And this man understood that. And when Jesus said yes, I can't imagine what went through his heart. You see, this future relationship begins now. Not in some far off tomorrow. Kipling says, we shall lie down for an eon or two. How many eons did Jesus and this outlaw lie down? It was not even for one eon. It wasn't even for one instant. Together, they went away. Together, they appeared in an instant later in the very presence of the throne room of God. Paradise. I mean, this is the gospel for our day today. If this outlaw, in spite of all his hindrances, could find eternal life, surely we ought not despair. I mean, the conversation he had that day brought him courage to face death and eternity unafraid. You and I also have to that same kind of Conversation when we turn to Jesus as He did to help us and to bring healing in our life. And in doing so, we too will find life. We'll find it in the here and the now. And, and, and how desperate that you and I have to be in order to realize that, that when Jesus died upon that cross, He died for us. I mean, He sacrificed everything so that He might even have one moment with you upon your cross That you might overhear his prayer and understand his forgiveness has no ends. So, what can we do? Well, let me challenge you with just a couple things. First is this don't wait any longer, quit putting it off. You need to look to Jesus today and recognize that what He has done for you, He did out of love. He's willing to intercede on your behalf before His Father in heaven. If you would just simply acknowledge Him and surrender your life to Him. and I'll tell you what, if you give me a ring, we'll even come baptize you there at your house in your bathtub if you want. But it doesn't matter. What matters is you surrendering yourself to Jesus. Recognizing His death and the power of it. The second thing, I think you need to use this time of physical distance. I hate social distancing. We're physically distanced, but yet we still need to connect with one another. And use this time to spend more time with God in prayer. Open up and read your Bible. Memorize some scriptures. we got our kids memorizing scriptures. When do we stop? Maybe we ought to as adults continue to memorize the Word of God. Place it upon our hearts. Why not take some time to recognize what what God has given you and, and examine your life and determine the areas that need to be removed in order to truly live and let this time be useful in growing in your faith. Now, as you spend time with God today, just thanking Him for everything He has done for us, remembering that Jesus went to the cross and that your, your sins could be forgiven and that you've given uh, an invitation that He's given you so that you can join Him for all eternity in heaven, why not take some time and, and remember the sacrifice that was made? You can observe communion, uh, even today, where you are, right at home. Matter of fact, Alan is going to come on and he's going to share with you some things about explaining how you can use this time for communion, uh, even at your home with your families. Before he comes, I just want to close out with prayer and let you know that we're always keeping you in our prayer daily. And soon, oh we hope so soon, this distancing will no longer be impacting us and we can gather together once again here as a full body of Christ at First Christian. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that You've loved us. If only we could see with our eyes as that man upon that cross saw Jesus. Oh, Father, to look intently into those piercing eyes, to hear His voice as it speaks some final words before death was taken over. That, Father, You would forgive us because we still don't know what we're doing. Father, we thank you for our church. We thank you for the community we are, that even though we're not able to be together as a whole, that, Father, we are finding ways to to touch one another uh, through the different ways of of sending letters or mail or calling each other on the phone or through the video conferencing or whatever way possible, that, Father, we can still connect with each other. We thank you that the church is not confined to Sunday alone, but it lives and it breathes. And it's active each and every day, wherever we find ourselves. Father, encourage us to be faithful. Encourage us to share our faith boldly. And to proclaim that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.